This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Tony Evans tells about a, a, a flight that he took one time from, from, uh, from Raleigh-Durham and they were headed to, to, to Dallas. Uh, but the plane was uh, diverted, detoured, <laughs> uh, from heading to, uh, to, to Dallas, and they actually landed in, in Abilene, Texas, instead of Dallas. And so they're sitting on the tarmac in, in Abilene when a woman uh, stands up, she begins talking to one of the flight attendants. And, uh, and pretty soon, the crew pulled out, out, up outside the plane, and this woman and her kids got off. Well, it turned out that their destination all along was Abilene. They were actually flying to Abilene through Dallas-Fort Worth. And so, in, in actuality, the detour had taken them directly to their destination, Sometimes something similar happens in our lives. Something happens that, that we think is a detour, but actually it's the destination that God had for us. That, that annoying interruption to our schedule turns out to be a divine appointment that changes our lives. That painful trial that comes into our lives that, that we did not anticipate actually becomes the means through which God does something incredibly beautiful in our lives. And that was the case exactly in, 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 in Joseph's life. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter, chapter 42 this morning as we continue in our series on the life of, of Joseph. We're talking this morning about the, the beauty of, of, of reconciliation and this is kind of a, a moment where the story has been, has been headed uh, because this is the moment when, when Joseph and his brothers see one another. You know, it's, it's been two decades at this point since his own brothers sold him off as a slave to, to Egypt. Now uh, Joseph is in his late 30s, and for the first time, he and his brothers are, are, are seeing one another face to face. How is that going to go? What's going to happen? Is there going to be reconciliation? Let's take a look at it. What we're going to do this morning, uh, we're going to look at it a little bit differently because I'm going to be reading both of these chapters pretty much as we go along. So um, keep your, your Bibles uh, open always. Always keep your Bibles open. But, you're, but this morning, we're going to kind of walk through uh, much of chapters 42 and 43 as we go along. But before we do that, I want us to look at the end of chapter 41, the last verse in chapter 41, because it really tees up everything that we're going to look at today. You remember last time, Joseph has been, has, was elevated to become essentially the, the viceroy, the administrator over all of the land of Egypt. Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of storing all of this grain because seven years of famine are, are, are coming, uh, preceded by seven years of abundance. But now the famine has started. 
And so it says in verse 57 of chapter 41, every land came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain for the famine was severe in every land. Now that included the land of Canaan where the Jewish people are, where Joseph's brothers are, and where his father Jacob is. So what do we see in chapters 42 and 43? I want to get to look at several, several takeaways that we see in these chapters. You can take notes on the back of your bulletin if you want to do that. The outline is there. The first thing that we see, God sent dreams come true. Let's look at these first six verses of chapter 42. The Bible says, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? Listen, he went on, I have heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we will live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he thought something might happen to him. The sons of Israel were among those who came to buy grain, for the famine was, uh, the famine was in the land of Canaan. Joseph was in charge of the country. He sold grain to all its people. His brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. Now, flashback to chapter 37 and the dreams that Joseph had as a boy. Let's go back to chapter 37. Turn back to Genesis 37. And let's look at verses 5 and following. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly, my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Now at the time, Neither Joseph or his brothers truly understand what this dream is about. But now as his brothers come to Egypt by grain and they bow down, it's, 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 all, it's all coming to pass. And this is just the first of Joseph's dreams that we're going to see coming true in our passage this morning. God sent dreams come true. Second, we see something here about the sad legacy of bad parenting. The sad legacy of bad parenting. Now, Joseph's brother's sin against him was truly awful, obviously. They sell off their own younger brother as a slave. It was horrible. But you remember that it did not occur in a vacuum. It occurred in an atmosphere that their father had created of favoritism, which engendered all kinds of hurt and anger. Let's look at chapter 37 once again. Turn back to chapter 37. Keep your thumb there. We're going to keep going back because things are now really beginning to come together. All this is tying together. Look at chapter 37, 
and verse 3. Now Israel, that's another, that's another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was, was a son born to him in his old age and he made a long-sleeved robe for him. You remember that, that he made this ornate robe, this coat of many colors for Joseph. And, and every time Joseph, Joseph wore it all the time, and every time he wore it, it was like a neon sign just flashing in the faces of his older brothers. You are loved less by our father. Joseph and, 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 and his younger brother Benjamin were the, 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 the favored sons of Jacob. And listen, this engenders all kinds of hurt and anger that explodes in, in violence as his brothers sell Joseph off. You know, it seems like every day now we, we wake up on the news, there's just, just shooting somewhere. And, and, and if you look at, at the perpetrators in, in, in 90-some percent of the cases, there is either bad parenting or no parenting. And what happens in families is that this becomes a vicious cycle. It was a cycle in that family. You remember that, 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 that Jacob himself was loved less by his father, and then he turns around and he, he repeats the same mistake with his own sons. Look here in, in, in chapter 42 at, at, at verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? Just barks at them. It's like, you good for nothings? Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, it says, so 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he thought something might happen to him. Wow. What does this say to the older brothers? You know, you guys are expendable. You're the expendables. I'm going to keep Benjamin back. I'm afraid something dangerous might happen to him. You all take this, take this journey. You know, I can do without you. Parents. Always be aware of the responsibility and the power that God has placed in your hands and the influence of your actions and your words that can either impart, you know, life-giving love to your children or leave a legacy of hurt and pain and anger. There's a third takeaway that we see here, and that is something about forgiveness and reconciliation. Let's look at this encounter that, that the brothers finally have with one another. They're brought together face to face in chapter 42 and verses 7 and following. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them but he treated them like strangers and spoke harshly to them. Now, what we're going to see is that Joseph's not really angry with them. <laughs> this is all part of a ruse. They just think he's an Egyptian official at this point. It's all part of a, a, a ruse, a role that Joseph's playing 
in order to eventually get the family together. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan to buy food, they replied. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Now this is not a surprise here uh, because you've got these 10 guys showing up with, you know, Jewish clothing. They're all bearded. They're all, they would have had, in their culture, Jewish culture, they would, they would have certainly have had beards. They stand out <laughs> immediately. Joseph knows who they are. But Joseph, at this point, looks like an Egyptian official. He's got on Egyptian garb. You know, he's clean-shaven. It's been two decades or more it's not a surprise. They do not recognize him at first. Joseph, verse 9, Joseph remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You've come to see the weakness of the land. No, my Lord. Your servants have come to buy food, they said. We are all sons of one man. We are honest. Your servants are not spies. No, he said to them. You've come to see the weakness of the land. But they replied, we, your servants, were 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no longer living. Wow, how that must have struck to Joseph. Then Joseph said to them, I have spoken. You are spies. This is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one from among you to get your brother. The rest of you will be in prison so that your words can be tested to see if they are true. If they are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. So Joseph imprisoned them together for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I fear God. Do this and you will live. If you are honest, let one of you be confined to the guardhouse while the rest of you go and take grain to relieve the hunger of your households. Bring your youngest brother to me so that your words can be confirmed. Then you won't die. And they consented to this. Then they said to each other, Obviously, we are being punished for what we did to our brother. We saw his deep distress when he pleaded with us, but we would not listen. That is why this trouble has come to us. Now certainly, you know, Joseph, who understands Hebrew, is listening to every word that they're saying. And, and this begins to ring home to his heart. Why? Because Joseph is beginning to see that that what they have done, the enormity, the horror of what they have done is truly coming home to them. They're, they're taking responsibility for it. Surely it spoke to his heart. But Reuben replied, verse 22, didn't I tell you not to harm the boy, but you wouldn't listen? Now we must account for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph understood them since there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and wept. Wow, this is powerful stuff. Now, Joseph at this point is, is still, he's playing this ruse of accusing them of being spies with a plan in mind. 
And the plan is to get Benjamin there. Benjamin and his father, Jacob. Why? Because he wants to save the family. He wants to reconcile the family. Look, look at what we saw here in verse 9 of chapter 42. Look at verse 9 again. Joseph remembered his dreams, plural. You see, there was more than one dream that he had. Let's, let's go back once again to chapter 37. Chapter 37, and this time, let's look at verse 9. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. 11 stars. You see, at this point, only 10 of his brothers had come. Benjamin would make 11. And so Joseph wants to get somehow Benjamin to come because he knows this is part of God's plan. He wants, he wants the whole family to be brought uh, together as, as, as one. Old Testament scholar uh, Bruce Baalke, a great scholar of Genesis, says this, just as Joseph planned a strategy for saving Egypt based on Pharaoh's dream, now he plans a strategy to save his family, both physically and spiritually, based on his dreams. You see, Joseph, Joseph not only wants his family to live and not die, in the sense that he knows they're going to die in this famine, if, if something is not done, but see, Joseph knows that God has a spiritual purpose for this family. And so, Joseph wants to be an instrument of saving his family, physically and spiritually. What an incredible change this is <laughs> from chapter 37 in Joseph's life. In chapter 37, Joseph was, you remember he was growing up, he was very, very self-centered. It was all about him. Life revolved around him. And, and now he's, he's thinking outward, right? He's looking up to God in faith. He's looking out to others in love. And he wants to be an instrument, God's instrument of salvation for his, for his family. And second here, we see a desire for, the, for family reconciliation, for, for forgiveness, for, for reconciliation. Tony Evans says this about forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you no longer feel pain, nor does it mean to forget the facts of what happened. Forgiveness means you no longer hold the person hostage for the pain they caused. Now that's very significant because Biblically, as Tony says here, forgiveness means you no longer hold a person hostage for the pain they caused. That's very significant because biblically, forgiveness is the releasing of a debt. 
That's what it means. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 says that Christ erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. That's biblical forgiveness. That's what we have received in the gospel. The sin debt that was against us and crushing us a debt that we could never pay was paid by Jesus on the cross. We are, we are released. We are released from that. That's, that's, that's biblical forgiveness. Now, we are going to see that Joseph has forgiven his brothers. He's not holding them hostage for what they've done Literally not holding them hostage in this case. But, but Joseph has forgiven them. But he, he doesn't yet know if he can fully trust them. And, and that's something that we need to understand. When we talk about forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness, if you're a believer, you must forgive. Forgive. That's part of following Jesus. But for, for full reconciliation to take place, there has to be a rebuilding of trust. See, Joseph has forgiven his brothers for what they've done. He doesn't yet know if he can fully trust them. You know, in, 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 in life, I mean, if, for instance, in marriage, Let's say there's a breach of trust, a serious breach of trust in the marriage. The spouse that has been sinned against as a believer forgives their spouse, but, but trust is something that has to be rebuilt over time. You, you cannot snap your fingers and just automatically make full trust come back. That takes time. And see, for things to be fully reconciled, that's gotta happen. But it takes time for that to happen. That's where Joseph is at this point. He's forgiven them, but he doesn't yet know. He, he still wants, can I fully trust them? And, and thus we see this, this series of, of tests, essentially, that, that he gives to his, his, his brothers. Now see, what did, they, what did they do? Think about what they did back years ago when he was 17 years old. What did they do to Joseph? They sold him out, betrayed him for silver. Now, Joseph is going to present a test and the question is going to be, will they sell out another one of their own, another brother for silver? Let's pick it up in the latter part of verse 24 here in chapter 42. When he turned back and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and had him bound before their eyes. Joseph then gave orders to, to fill their containers with grain, return each man's silver to his sack, and, and give them provisions for their journey. This order was carried out. They loaded the grain on their donkeys and left there. At the place where they lodged for the night, one of them opened his sack 
to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver there in the top of his bag. He said to his brothers, my silver has been returned. It's here in my bag. Their hearts sank. Trembling, they turned to one another and said, what has God done to us? When they reached their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. The man who was lord of the country spoke harshly to us and accused us of spying on the country. But we told him, we are honest and not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of the same father. One is no longer living, and the youngest is now with our father in the land of Canaan. The man who was lord of the country said to us, this is how I will know if you are honest. Leave one brother with me, take food to relieve the hunger of your households, and go bring back your youngest brother to me, and I will know that you are not spies but honest men. I will then give your brother back to you, and you can trade in the country." As they began emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his bag of silver. When they and their father saw their bags of silver, they were afraid. But there is zero interest in keeping the silver. The brothers have zero interest in taking the money and running this time and selling Simeon out. And so they don't want to take the money and run. And they're honest with their father. They're honest with Jacob about exactly what happened. How does Jacob respond to them? Look at verse 36. Their father Jacob said to them, It's me that you make childless. Joseph is gone and Simeon is gone. Now you want to take Benjamin. Everything happens to me. Jacob's speech begins and ends with himself. Look at verse 38. Jacob answered, My son will not go down with you. Wow. Think about this. Think about these words. A knife cutting into them. They're his sons too. But he says, My son will not go down with you. For his brother is dead and he alone, he alone is left. What does this say to the other sons who are still there in front of him alive? If anything happens to him on your journey, you will bring my gray hairs down to Sheol in sorrow. Wow, wow. But despite all of this pain, all of the bad parenting, all the family dysfunction, God is going to do something great and redemptive and beautiful. Let's look at chapter 43. Now the famine in the land was severe. When they had used up the grain they had brought back from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, the man specifically warned us, you will not see me again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go. For the man said to us, you will not see me again unless your brother is with you. Why have you caused me so much trouble, Israel asked. Why did you tell the man you had another brother? They answered, the man kept asking us about our family. 
Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? And we answered him accordingly. How could we know that he would say, bring your brother here? Then Judah said to his father Israel, send the boy with me. We will be on our way so that we may live and not die, neither we nor you nor our dependents. I will be responsible for him. You can hold me personally accountable. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, I will be guilty before you forever. If we had not delayed, we could have come back twice by now. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your packs and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balsam and a little honey, aromatic gum and rosin, pistachios and almonds. Take twice as much silver with you. Return the silver that was returned to you in the top of your bags. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back at once to the man. May God Almighty cause the man to be merciful to you so that he will release your brother, Benj- your brother and Benjamin to you. As for me, if I am deprived of my sons, then I am deprived. The men took this gift, double the amount of silver and Benjamin, They immediately went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to his steward, Take them into my house, slaughter an animal and prepare it, for they will eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph had said and brought them to Joseph's house. But the men were afraid because they they were taken to Joseph's house. They said, We've been brought here because of the silver that was returned in our bags the first time. They intend to overpower us, seize us, make us slaves, and take our donkeys. So they approached Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the doorway of the house. They said, my Lord, we really did come down here the first time only to buy food. When we came to the place where we lodged for the night and opened our bags of of grain, each one's silver was at the top of his bag. It was the full amount of our silver, and we have brought it back with us. We have brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put silver in our, our silver in the bags. Then the steward said, may you be well. Don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father must have put treasure in your bags. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Now, it's obvious here that this steward is very, very close to Joseph. It's clear, Joseph's brought him in on the loop. He knows what's going on. Joseph's close to the steward. But here's, here's something that's really amazing and beautiful. It's also clear here from verse 23 um, that the steward, who's an Egyptian, is not only close to Joseph, but he has come to know Joseph's God, right? This is so beautiful. The steward, this Egyptian, who's been raised in, to worship false gods, raised in paganism, what does he say? May you be well. Don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father must have put treasure in your bags. I received your silver. Now, in a way, this is like a turning point in the story. And these words of grace about God, about what God can do, are spoken by a foreigner. What does this say to us about the missionary heart of God? 
God's heart is that every tribe and tongue would know him. And that's our assignment, right? That's our assignment. That all peoples would know him. And so you've got this, this Egyptian who's being used of God to speak these words of grace about God. A foreigner is, is being used to, to, as an agent in carrying out God's plan ultimately for all peoples. Powerful. There's something else that we see here, another takeaway, and that is the peace God brings. The peace God brings. Let's look at verse 23 again in chapter 43. Then the steward said, may you be well. Now, literally, this, this means, it's, the word is shalom. We've talked about this before. Beautiful Hebrew word. And it, and, it, and it means a sense of not only what we would call peace, but, but wholeness, well-being. That's why in some translations, as it he, as here, it's like, may you be well. It's a sense, of, a sense of well-being, wholeness, peace, peace with God, peace with one another. And so this, this Egyptian steward says to the brothers, peace to you. Shalom. You get a sense of this in that hymn that we sing sometimes. It is well, right? It's well with my soul. Shalom is a key word moving forward as we're going to see here. Look at verses 24 and, and, and following. The steward brought the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and got feed for their donkeys. Since the men had heard that they were going to eat a meal there, they prepared their gift for Joseph's arrival at noon. <clears throat> when Joseph came home, they brought him the gift they had carried into the house, and they bowed to the ground before him. Remember the second dream, 11 stars bowing down. Benjamin is with them now. There are 11 Verse 27, Joseph here is speaking, and he asked if they were well. And he said, how is your elderly father that you told me about? Is he still alive? Now again, at the beginning of verse 27, the word here is shalom. He, Joseph asks his brothers if they were well. He says shalom to them. How is your peace? Now, there's something really, really beautiful that we need to see that kind of, that, that just, that, that, that ties this together here. Turn back to chapter 37 once again, and let's look at verse 4. This is after <clears throat> Jacob is given Joseph the, the coat of many, many colors, and they are, the, the older brothers are seething with hurt and anger. And it says in verse four, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. In other words, they could not say shalom. 
They could not say shalom to their brother. And now, two decades later, they're together once again in this room, and it says that, in verse 27, that Jacob asked if they were well. How is your shalom? You see, this is, this is the grace of God flooding, flooding into the situation, right? Bringing peace, bringing reconciliation, melting hearts. It's like that scene in, in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe uh, when you know, Narnia, which is this place that's frozen all the time, when, when Aslan, the lion who represents Christ, the nearer that Aslan comes to Narnia, the more the, what is frozen begins to melt. And the closer that we get to Jesus, the, the more that hardness, the hardness of bitterness and grudges and unforgiveness, just, it just begins to melt as the grace of God just, just floods in. That's what's happening here. It's beautiful. Verses 27 and and, and 28, he asked if they were well. And he said, how is your elderly father that you told me about? Is he still alive? They answered, your servant, our father, is well. Again, shalom. He is still alive. And they knelt low and paid homage to him. Verses 29 and 30. When he looked up and saw his brother Benjamin... His mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother that you told me about? Then he said, may God be gracious to you, my son. Joseph hurried out because he was overcome with emotion for his brother, and he was about to weep. He went into an inner room and wept there. Now remember, these two brothers, Joseph and Benjamin, had been, they had been together from the earliest of ages. They're younger than all the rest. They have the same mom. And so growing up, it was always the two of them together. There were other brothers, but they were kind of a separate thing. Joseph and Benjamin were always together. And when Joseph sees Benjamin, he can no longer contain his 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 emotion, and, and, he, and, he, and notice what he says to, 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 to Benjamin uh, here in, in verse 29. You know, Joseph, Joseph's still trying to play the role of this Egyptian, right? But he, he says words to Benjamin that are really explicitly Jewish. May God be gracious to you, my son. May God be gracious to you very much, like the blessing that we see in, in Numbers chapter 6 and verses 24 and following. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. Again, shalom. God brings shalom into relationships. And that begins by putting us at peace with him through his son. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the work of Christ, God reconciles us to himself. We're sinners. We need to be reconciled to a holy God who hates sin. How can that happen? Only through Christ. Only through the shed blood of his son can that happen. Can we be reconciled to a a holy God? And when he does that, he reconciles us to others. And in the case of a church family, he makes us one. He makes us a family. As As we take the Lord's Supper together, part of what's being communicated is that the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. He has brought us together as one family of God in Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare to take part in the other ordinance of our faith, we pray that <clears throat> you would work now in our hearts. We know that none of us is worthy to eat this bread and to take this cup. We know that that it is only through the perfect righteousness of Christ that we can that we can do that. But Lord, we, we know that because of the shed blood of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead, that by faith his perfect righteousness has been credited to us and we have been reconciled to you through your Son and adopted by you as sons and daughters in Christ and made brothers and sisters to one another in Christ. Lord, when we think about reconciliation and forgiveness, we we pray that as we prepare to, to take part in this meal that you ordained, that if there be any cherished, unconfessed sin in our lives, Lord, that we, would, that we would deal with that, that there would be nothing hindering our fellowship with you or with others. Lord, if there's unforgiveness in our hearts, if there's bitterness, if there's a grudge, Lord, we, we know that does not honor you, that dishonors you. That's blatant disobedience. And so, Lord, part of being willing to take this, take part in this is to, to, to know that um, we're willing to, to forgive and to, and to reconcile and, and, and seek to make relationships right. And Lord, we, we see that by your power and grace that can happen even in the most difficult circumstances as, we, as we've seen in our text today. <clears throat> Lord, you can do beautiful things, beautiful things in relationships. And all of that begins with a relationship with you through your son. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. In just a moment, um, we're gonna invite all, all baptized believers here to take part in the Lord's Supper. If you did not get one of these when you came in, could you raise your, would you raise your hand high so that our um, ushers could see that if you're taking part and did not get this? Make sure you have what you need.
In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and after giving thanks, broke it, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, Take and eat. This is my body. In like manner, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus said, drink, all of you. Father, we thank you for something that this ordinance, something that you ordained, that you commanded for us to celebrate and worship, that, that brings us back and puts before our eyes the centrality of the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for us. And until we do this in remembrance of him, that we have a savior who was crucified, buried, and risen, that his blood was shed, his body was broken for us, and nothing else but Jesus can satisfy. Forgive us for trying to find satisfaction in, in, in things other than Christ. Only only you can give our souls the nourishment that we need. Only the living bread, only the cup can satisfy. Lord, make us, make us people um, who, who constantly feed on the good news of that gospel and then share that gospel with a world that just desperately needs to hear it. We thank you for the mercy that we see when, when we take the Lord's Supper. Thank you for the, the grace and the mercy that we have received in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. 
Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.